Hey guys, my name is Alex and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Merry Christmas to those who observe it, and to my Jewish listeners, I'm sorry that everything is closed. Which isn't entirely true though, I checked, because I really would, like I like Christmas, but I would like to, you know, spend my days at at a coffee shop doing some work. I know most, at least this is the case in Miami, most Starbucks locations are open till 4pm and the movie theaters are usually open all day and all night. Chinese restaurants, of course, are traditionally open with regular hours, I think. I've never actually gone to a Chinese dinner on Christmas, though I would like to. I've always heard of that alleged sort of suburban Jewish tradition in the United States of getting Chinese food and going to a movie theater on Christmas night, but I wonder if it's like more of a joke, like just one of these things that Gentiles believe Jews do and Jews are like, eh. Because I feel like most of the Jews that I know, like if you proposition them with that, they'd be like, sounds fine. Chinese food in a movie, I got no problem with that, but I do have enough traditions to juggle already. Thank you. The novelist Norman Mailer cited as one of his most Jewish attributes a very studious appreciation of anniversaries. Which I always thought was a beautiful idea, and it reminds me, I'm not sure where I was reading it, but I know that it was a woman saying it in an essay somewhere, maybe in The New Yorker, that when she was a kid, she, she was very much like what Norman Mailer is describing, very observant and appreciative of anniversaries. And then she stayed that way as she got older, and it became this kind of heavy, like emotionally weighted preoccupation. Because suddenly, in middle age, She can look at a calendar, and not only is every square of that calendar page marked with the anniversary of something, it's double marked. It's triple marked. Five years ago today, I got my dream job. Three years ago today, I I lost my dream job. The calendar becomes packed with the remembrance of things past, momentous things that happened on this particular day. And as as enriching as it is, if you've got the kind of memory or the diaries to support that, that kind of constant reflection, it can become kind of mournful, because it's inevitably a reminder of the things that have come and the things that have gone. A certain weight that's characterizing the Christmas in my own family is the death of my paternal grandfather. He died three weeks ago at the age of 94. And I was reluctant to mention this because I don't like getting into family stuff on the podcast. I didn't tell my roommate. I didn't really tell anyone except my boss. But I wanted to say a thing or two about it, because last night, Nochoena, if you're not Cuban, Christmas Eve is kind of the real Christmas, and Nochoena was a bit heavy. My friend Maria, whom I've mentioned before, the Jacksonville pen merchant and pen kicker, I confided in Maria shortly after my grandfather's death, and uh, she asked the standard questions of how are you doing, what was his age, how, how was his exit, and I started to kind of contextualize his life in a certain kind of way. My grandfather was a prodigiously hard-working man, incredibly generous, he had a constant sense of humor, and when I look at, like, my dad and my brother and myself, I like to think that those are attributes he has, uh, bequeathed. My brother is really funny, my dad is really funny, and I can't attest to how you take this podcast, but I am definitely the funniest person I've ever met. Nobody makes me laugh the way I make me laugh, and I don't know if I've ever known someone who was probably more inclined to laugh at themselves Then my grandfather. My grandfather was born and raised in Cuba, and then he left it when Castro took power in the late 1950s. And then on April 17th, 1961, my grandfather went back 
and he fought in the Bay of Pigs invasion. He was captured by Fidel Castro's forces, and he was held as a prisoner of war there for two years. After that, he was released back to the United States on Nochoana, as fate would have it. And in the ensuing decades, he worked in the medical field, and he smoked a few million cigars in the process. He worked 16-hour days, sometimes six days a week, and after he had retired, it seemed like the one thing he most stridently impressed on, on the three Sarando guys beneath him was that it isn't worth it. Essentially, don't give your life in order to make a living. Obviously, he had to work those hours in order to support his family, but at the end of it, he felt that he had missed a lot. And he was very adamant in telling us that we don't want to go through our lives with the regrets that he did. My grandfather drove motorcycles, he had diabetes, and ate lots of flan anyways. He had a heart attack, several stents inserted, he took some bad falls. He lived 94 years. My dad always makes a joke about the longevity in our family, saying that starting from a fairly young age, the Sarandos need about 60 pills a day, but goddammit, you give us those 60 pills a day and we'll give you 100 years. <laughs> one of my favorite movie lines of all time comes from one of my favorite movies which is Rocky II. In the first Rocky, as you might remember, an underdog fighter is given a title shot, and he has to go up against the heavyweight champion Apollo Creed. And at the end of the movie, there's a long fight, and if I can take the liberties of spoiling this 50-year-old movie to you, Rocky loses the fight at the end of Rocky, and it, which is something that's commonly overlooked. And the reason it's commonly overlooked is because it is that movie is directed in such a way as to gloss, as to deliberately gloss over the victor. Because for Rocky Balboa, as he says in the movie's like emotional climax, shortly before the fight, he's in bed with his girlfriend, his goal going into the ring is not to win, but simply to last all 10 rounds. All Balboa wants is to be on his feet when the last bell rings. And when that bell rings, he is. So at the end of Rocky, like, you know, the bell rings, there's a swell of triumphant music, and you have to be paying close attention to the visual cues in order to realize that the announcer declares Apollo Creed the winner. Anyway, Rocky II picks up right where Rocky left off, and it shows that in the weeks after the fight, Apollo Creed is still the champion, he's still got the belts, but he's, he's haunted by the fact that people who watched the fight don't look at him as the winner. They keep saying that he won on technicality, that Rocky was the better fighter, the fight went to the judges, and the judges were wrong, and the reason they were wrong is because Creed showed skill, but Rocky showed heart. And so Rocky II is about Apollo Creed, the winner of the first fight, demanding a rematch. And this is why I think the movie is so, um, it's like such an amazing study of male vanity. The winner feels that he didn't win hard enough, and so he risks his health and safety in order to prove to people that he can win harder. So the fight is being planned, it's about to go onto the books, and Creed notices that his trainer is being very wishy-washy about the whole thing. And he asks his trainer, you know, why are you being reticent? And the, the trainer says, Creed, you won. You won the fight. Why are we doing this? And Creed, his ego flashes, and he goes, man, I won, but I didn't beat him, and I need to get back in the ring, and I need to prove that I can, like, annihilate this guy. Because Rocky was an underdog, and, and Creed didn't prepare to fight, you know, a really formidable opponent. But so he, he presses his trainer, and he's like, you're telling me I'm the better fighter. Everyone agrees that I'm technically the better fighter, so why are you like, not giving me support for this rematch. And so his trainer comes up and he says, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. I saw you beat that man like I never saw no man get beat before, and the man kept coming after you. And we don't need a man like that in our lives. Well, that 
I think, was my grandfather. And Apollo Creed in this case was life itself. I call my grandfather Wallow, incidentally, because uh, when my brother was a little kid, but like very little, he couldn't pronounce Awelo. So it's Wallow and then Awela is Walla. It's Wallow and Walla. And as concerns Wallow, the way I've been thinking about it, is that in so much of his life, the fates beat that man like I never saw no man get beat before, and the man kept eating flan. Blood sugar as balanced as a seesaw in a hurricane, but he just kept going. I'm being flip about it, obviously, but it's because I think that's the attitude he would have. And on Christmas, in this case, I think it's the right attitude to have. It's a rougher holiday this year because of the pandemic. It's rougher for everyone. It's not gonna be quite so cozy or intimate as Christmas has passed. But Rocky comes to mind, the, the ending of the first movie and that trainer's remark in the second one, because I think if you're living your life in the right way, you really, then when the bell rings, you really don't hear the judge's call. And the people who are in your life, they don't hear it either. All they hear is the bell when the fight is finally over. And ideally after that, they hear the swell of triumphant music. You went the distance, you fought the good fight, and when the bell rang, you turned not toward the crowd or to the judges to sort of gauge your performance or to assess how much you gained from the fight. What you did at the end of the good fight was you called instead for Adrian. And into the ring came Polly and your trainer, the people who were there for you in your corner from the beginning. And it turns out that they and their company and their support is what the real victory was all about. So congrats this Christmas on finding yourself afoot. No matter how lopsided or sodden or stiff or barren the soil on which you stand, you've got your feet planted and you are braving the storm. So observe your traditions, observe the anniversaries of the good things and of the bad, and keep your ears perked this Christmas to the bells that mark not the end of the fight, but an intermission. A break where you just sort of pause and reflect and appreciate. Thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. And I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more of it, you can, of course, check out our back catalog, but you can also support the show by becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com forward slash thousandmovieproject, or if you just go to patreon.com, there's like a search bar. I don't know if you can find this show if you just type in my name, but definitely if you type in the name of the show, it will come up. All those donations get pulled up, and they amount ultimately to, like, what I would earn at a every month, what I would earn in a shift of bartending, which means that every now and then I can take off a bartending shift and just churn out an episode. Apart from providing some financial breathing room, it's also super, like, encouraging to think that anyone is listening to this and they're, like, so interested and so supportive that they're gonna, like, throw a few bucks at me. Like, so for the, for the financial well-being of the show, the regularity of the show, and for the, the warming kernel of encouragement, you can, again... Go to patreon.com, search for a thousand movie project podcast, and make a make a pledge. As usual, thank you for listening, and thanks for your support.